0: What's up folks, welcome to another episode of the Compulsive Podcast, or videocast if you're watching this on YouTube. I have a regular on the show here, our name is going to be familiar with you all and a very good friend of mine, Leo Dion. How you doing, Leo? How's it going, buddy? Good, good to see you and hear you, Peter. Uh, welcome, to-
1: happy new year, happy uh, Happy new year to
0: you. Yes, we are here. The year of the headset is what they will put in the record books, right? Yeah, maybe. maybe we'll we'll see
1: we'll see <laughs> it on, what February second. So
0: yeah, yeah. It you know it's as good as here, right? You know. <laughs> uh, and maybe we'll talk about that later. How it just appeared out of nowhere. Like oh, by the way, it's coming out next next month. You know, yeah. Um, but we uh, we want to talk about a project of yours here, an, an app that you've got out and that I've been playing around with. Um, very useful app as well for developers. Bushel. And uh, we're just going to dive right into this here. So give give us an overview of Bushel, what it does and what it is. Absolutely.
1: So um, I've always been interested. Well, one of, the, one of the things I was telling the story of is like, it's cool to develop for the Mac because you don't have to deal with um, like having to debug on a different device. You can just debug it on your own machine. Uh, but the issue I've run into is I cannot set it up and, like, I can't reset simulator in mm. Mac OS. Like, there is no ability to do that. I can't just throw up a Mac quickly and test an app with a specific configuration without, like, breaking something, right? Yep. So um, that's kind of the genesis of the idea behind Bushel was I wanted an iOS simulator for Mac OS. Um, on top of that, like, I've had a lot of situations where clients had an old version of Xcode they like hadn't touched their code base in years and wanted you to fix something and like it's just a, a pain in the neck to do and I wanted a quick and easy way to do that um and that's kind of where bushel comf- came from I mean I had done some stuff with like Virtualbox and parallel well mostly virtualbox honestly and it just wasn't a great experience it works but it's not really focused for uh, like developers in our space. And, um, that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a good looking developer focused VM app for Mac OS, iOS developers, or even people like I've had issues where I've had a client who needed me to set up a development script so they can get developers Mm -hmm. up and running and they wanted to like install certain apps. And like, I wanted to be able to do that on a Mac and be able to refresh it and try it again without having to like, I want that clean, clean install experience. Um, and have it working that way. And uh, so if you're building a script too, um, I think this is great. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting uh, because, you know, it's obviously very quickly the immediate comparisons that come up is VMware, Parallels, uh, all the other ways of doing these things. Yeah. And the problem with a lot of those is that they have to try their best to cater for many different scenarios, right? Right. like you know i um, you know i've done this and i know other folks have done this for example you install a a, win, a virtual machine your host of choice uh for windows so you can play games on your mac and things like that and the problem right. with that is they all enable for that to work they have to be very generic and 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 sort right. of meet many different requirements as opposed to something that is squarely dedicated to saying look we want to give you mac convenience mac performance in a vm on a mac and, right. and people would be forgiven at first for thinking well you know why would you want a virtual machine of the same machine but you raise a very good point which is uh we often especially as developers right we have all these fancy tools all these customizations all these things running in the background scripts right. or customized terminals all these kind of scenarios that are actually really bad for testing, for example. And mm. the best way to do this, like you say, is a, give me a, a straight-up um, install of, of, say, you know, some flavor of macOS that better simulates the real-world scenario for most users. And, you know, yes, there are other ways you can do this, but they're all very involved. And again, it's a whole bunch of files and all sorts of things. What I found that I liked about Bushel is it's a case of, you know, make me a a a Mac uh, VM of this. Okay, that was it. <laughs> you know, and it's done right. good to go. And like you say, if you need to do another one and just a reset, it's that quick as well, right? Right,
1: right. So uh, a couple of things I wanted to touch upon is like one thing I was just thinking about is like if you have a Linux machine, and I don't think this is quite a thing on the Mac, but, like, I've had Linux machines, as Linux desktop machines, and, you know, the kids will want to play a game, and there's, like, a specific tool set up to play Windows games on Mm. Linux. And, like that's kind of what I'm trying to do with bushel here. Like, yeah. Okay. You can do, you can run wine, right. And set wine up and all that crap, but there's no easy way to like specifically just play a game on Linux that runs on windows. And here, like yeah. I have a very specific use case, VM app for developers uh, who are in the Mac OS space. And the thing you bring up about like being able to reset and like, so I take advantage of snapshots. Um essentially I use mm-hmm. the um snapshot file snapshot feature that's built into uh macOS and AF, uh, APFS and I'm using that so that way you can take snapshots of a VM at a specific time and roll back or export or do whatever you want um based on that snapshot. So uh, I kind of think of it like a safe States uh, if anybody's familiar yeah. with what that means. Um, and that's kind of the idea behind it is just being able to rewind and fast forward and go back and like do whatever you need to do to like um, customize your machine and, and roll back in case you made any, you know, boo-boos on the way.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, that's the other beauty of this too, right? Is, you know, if, if you do something and it goes horribly wrong or you, you mm-hmm. mess something up and you're testing a script and something horrible happens is, okay, you you know what? You've not ruined your host machine. Just right. delete the VM and start over. Right. And, you know, that is so important because I was trying to think, like, you know, the other options, right? And I know that every year probably I'm not the only one that does this. Um, new Mac OS comes out, the new betas and everything else. And, you know, your options are, one, install it on my main machine, folks – don't ever do that. <laughs> it's a bad plan. Um, or it used to be, uh, in my case, okay, I'm going to install it on an external drive and everything right. that comes with that. But even that's not so easy to do now compared to how it used to be so easy to do. And, and so something, again, like virtual machines is like, great. You know, um, if I presumably, let, let's take this year, for example, right? There's going to be a new right. version of macOS coming. Um, but, but as the betas, you know, like beta one, beta two, and so on and so on coming right. out, you can, you can take this because of the way your system works. I'm guessing, correct me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong, but because yeah, you, you can download the Ip- file. Yeah. Yeah. You yep. could it do takes do that IPSW yep. file.
1: You can just download it right off of the Apple developer page. I mean, you could download the beta yeah. for whatever the Mac OS beta is today and like install it in Bushel and try it out. Um, obviously there won't be as many changes, as, sure, uh, as you might see with well, uh, we hope not,
0: right? <laughs> right. With what comes we don't out want next breaking year. changes this late. Yeah. Right, now here's right. a question for you because okay. I didn't try this. Um, so I'm on, you know, as like most folks, I'm guessing at this point, I'm on the Apple architecture, right? Um, can right. I presumably I cannot install the in, like an Intel version. Of the no. OS, right? Because no, it would take advantage no, it of the Mac hardware. And
1: it only works on Apple Silicon. So if you were to install okay. Mochel on an Intel machine, it wouldn't work. Um, I'm actually talking to Apple about saying how I can get it removed for Apple machines <laughs> because the virtualization oh, framework
0: requires uh, Apple Silicon to run. Okay. Which, you know, let's be honest, it's really at this point probably not a problem. I do know some folks that have Intel machines and I think even right. they've realized look, you're going to have to step up at some point, right? You right, know, right, right, right. We're three years in and, and here, yeah. That's it. It's yeah. like, you know, you got you got to – even Apple has upgraded all of their machines at this point to, to the M chips, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so, and I think, like, a lot of CI machines are moving over to silicon too. So, yeah,
0: totally. Yep, because it's so fast. And, I mean, at this point, why wouldn't you, right? Right. You know, um, give, give it probably, what, another year? And you you probably won't have any options at that point. It's like nope. I you're think getting, you're getting, I
1: think you know. this year or next year may be the first one that doesn't support Intel. I think yeah. I think we're getting close to it. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you know the the transition has being good. While we're talking about that, mm-hmm. um, yep. You know, so the the beauty of this app really is spin. And you know, again, this is me speaking from my experience trying it out. Spin it up quickly, use it, power it down. Destroy it if you need to. Or in my case, you know, the way I do it is I just keep like, okay, you know, here's a pristine install. Keep that as a, as yes. as, like you say, do a snapshot or whatever. So yep. I don't even have to do the install every time. I can literally yep. just say, hey, make me another one of those. Yeah. And any customizations I may have done to go with that, you know, it, it's already set up. The one yeah. thing that... I find that with all of these, and um, I did test this with your one as well, and it's not a, you know, unfortunately, um, I think this is an Apple thing. And and you might be able to shed some light on this because I don't understand um, in any kind of virtual machine, you cannot log in to the app store. Yeah. And I'm sure there must be some you reason for that, but you I cannot don't know log
1: in into any of Apple systems through a VM. So Apple ID doesn't work. Uh, App store mm, doesn't mm-hmm. work. Uh, any like any stuff with like developer, like where you sign in with Apple ID. Like if you go to Xcode, do you want to download your certificates? Nope. You can't do that through Xcode. Yeah. It's a, it's mm. a challenge. And I've been researching it. It's like my white whale, I guess, of like things I could fix um, or work yeah. around. Um, I, I mean, like, does
0: Apple does Apple explain? Why yeah. This so is
1: the no, but they think <laughs> I think it's by design. There was a okay. there was a Quinn answer, uh, Esk, uh, you know Eskimo the Quinn or Quinn mm-hmm. the Eskimo uh, had a question answer regarding that, and it sounded to me like. It's by design, probably, because Apple, okay. like, people, like, go for it. File a feedback, feedback on it, but um, Apple usually Good luck. returns it back as as designed. Yeah, so okay. it's kind of my gut feeling. Is there a way around it? I doubt it. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I, it's Like I yeah. said, it's my white whale. Mm. If I can figure that out, that would be
0: great, but we'll see. Oh, see, you know, where I was going with this was... This is the one thing, well, maybe there's others, but I've never got past this one. Um, yeah. This is the one thing that prevents me from having um, a scenario that I'd like where, you know, I can't do like I used to do with, like I said, the older versions. I would have a completely pristine setup, kind of what I would call an external drive with like the PETA image, like everything's set up exactly how I want it. And if something goes wrong, or I want to start again, I reclone that back to the internal drive, machines I right. can run in. And I would love to be able to do that with virtual machines, but you know, ironically, because I wanted to embrace the, the the Mac OS App Store, so many apps I use are in there. Therefore, I can't use them in a VM. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it prevents me yep. from having kind of my panic scenario uh, virtual image at this point. You know. Right. Right. Totally. That totally makes
1: sense. Or just like, you know, we're looking into iOS development as a future feature for Bushel so you can run. And like we're nice. testing that scenario, making sure the USB connections work uh, and making sure you could just like run on your iPhone because who knows if you can even get the certificates you need, like mm. uh, if you can't sign in. To so yeah, we're looking into all those situations uh, right now.
0: Interesting, because I was going to ask you about that was, um, you know, th- this with Bushel and that, do I have, when I'm running a virtual machine of, of the Mac, putting aside the App Store issues, do you get pass-throughs for all of the Apple hardware? Or are there some restrictions that it's like, nope, this isn't going to work for you? Or is it really sort of like truly having your second Mac? We're in the, looking into...
1: Yeah, we're looking into that right now. Um, we looked at some stuff with Clipboard that didn't go anywhere. Um, but mm. the, the next thing right now is just USB. Um, and then we're going to add file sharing soon. So that's going to be oh, something we're nice. going to set up. Yeah, it's like basically a way to do a central place for sharing files. Um, and then I'm trying to think what else I wanted to do. Um Man, what else was the other thing? I mean, we've had work uh, some requests for, like, custom d- display resolutions. Oh, um, yeah, I can see like that, that being now, useful. That, yeah, Yep. So, yeah, that's definitely something we're looking into as well.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah, because as soon as you say that, I'm thinking to myself, you know, when I do, like, tutorial videos and things like that, if I could have, um, you know, like, run a, a Mac VM and, say, have the screen set to you know, 1024, something like that, and then just capture it at that. I don't have to do any scaling or, or any right. worrying about exactly. that. Exactly. That would be yeah. perfect for that. Yeah. Yep. And and live streaming too. You know, it's kind of at the moment, it's like, oh, do I do I live stream my whole, whole desktop and hope that I'm not exposing something to the world that I didn't want to? Or if I could, again, have a VM with a window of a specific size, you know, tell the capture software, go grab that. and and be safe. Time for a break. Hey, everybody. It's Peter Whittem here from the Compulsory Podcast. I want to tell you about Setapp. Setapp is a service that provides a subscription fee of just $10 a month, and you get access to over 200 Mac applications, and it's also available now on iOS as part of that deal. I use the service because it just has a ton of really good first-rate apps that I use all the time. And for me, it's invaluable as a developer to have access to tools for things like APIs, for planning projects, uh, writing emails, writing documentation, and you get all of these things, including database apps, all of that kind of stuff, right there on the Set App service for just ten dollars a month. You can use as many or as few applications as you need. If you're interested in checking this out, go to peterwitham.com. P-E-T-E-R-W-I-T-H-A-M dot com forward slash set app s-e-t-a-p-p and you can see the details there and it's got a link that you can go over and start using the service and see how it works out for you i strongly recommend this to every mac user break time over you know it's it's uh, right you know and that's that's actually another aspect of this is too that we should talk about um having having it run in a virtual machine like this um you know, presumably you can, by default, if you want, be completely isolated. So whatever happens inside that virtual machine, you don't have to worry about your host machine, right?
1: Right, exactly. I mean, that's a big part of it is just being able to, um, yeah, like what you can do whatever you want with your VM and not worry about, like, breaking anything on your host machine. Um, So that's a big part of it.
0: Yeah, Um, Yeah, especially useful for, for, like, research, you know, like, Whatever it may be, or you know, or, uh, you know, these folks who have to sit and look at infected machines and it's like, look, you can look at it in a VM and not worry about, you know. Getting one of the things,
1: yourself. so like one of the things that's both a use case and um, a future feature is developing like a guest tools app. So that way mm. you can control all sorts of things in your VM from bushel. Uh, like SSH or file sharing or anything like that, nice. um, and that's a great example of one an app I want to build in the VM for the VM because uh, I don't want to like mess stuff up on my host machine if I like yeah. accidentally do some admin thing. And that's uh, definitely what I'm trying to do with uh, with the guest tools. That's kind of the next one of the next big things we're looking at looking looking at doing because uh, yeah, I think that opens up a lot more features uh, for for users to be able to do stuff.
0: That's it becomes very meta at that point, doesn't it? Using it's the the tools different. to develop yeah. the tools, right? Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like that. Nice. Nice. Um so you know, we'll link folks we'll put lots of links in the show notes for this, but um tell folks where they can go grab this. Uh you can go to getbushel.app. That's uh getbushel.app
1: is uh the URL, and then from there that'll take you to the app store and all sorts of fun stuff about bushel, the making of it and different release notes and all that stuff.
0: Um, As far as like a pricing structure on this, how does that work for for those who are curious?
1: Uh, Yeah. So it has, uh, it's free to use for most, most of the features. Um, And then there is a in-app purchase that's available uh, for a membership. So you can, if you get the pro version, um, right now it's priced at 11 bucks, uh, monthly or sixty five ninety nine for the annual membership. Obviously gotcha. we'll be adding okay. more features throughout the year, but sure. right now metadata. So being able to give a name or like give a description on a snapshot and then automatic snapshots is the other feature where as you're using the app, as you're using the VM, it automatically takes, uh, uses a timer to take snapshots every, however nice. often you want to take it. Um, which I think is a big big deal. Oh um, yeah. And like we'll be it's all it uses a specific API so these you can always delete these snapshots later pretty easily if they're taking up too much space. Um but yeah, those are the two big uh premium features that we have and then we'll be adding more throughout the rest of the year.
0: Nice. Is yep. it possible and I didn't look this one up but it strikes me as a Something now. Can I back up those snapshots to like an external drive or something like that? You can
1: um you can export a snapshot into a new VM. Um, nice. you can do that. um nice. but the VM the way the snapshots work is it uses special stuff in APFS, so I don't have access to like the actual file data. Uh, you wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to export that per se, but you can export um, a snapshot into a VM and then use that gotcha. kind of like a branch, right? Or a fork. Yeah, so that's to what speak. I'm thinking. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, awesome. So talk about building an app like this because I would imagine it's a very different approach in some ways to just your everyday app, right? Because you're talking about an app to essentially manage an OS at this point, which is very different than. You know, your average app yeah. that just runs, right? Talk to, talk to us about that. What fun did you have?
1: Well, let's let's talk about virtualization. Like, mm-hmm. so they've had this hypervisor framework out for quite some time on macOS, it looks like. Um, but it's all C-level, and honestly, mm. it's kind of intimidating and probably isn't maintained very much. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I want to say two years? Yeah, two years, because it was the year Monterey came out. Uh, they released a virtualization framework, um, which is all Swift-based with Objective-C behind the scenes, which is, you know, better than Mm. C-based, right? And um, Mm. I started dabbling into that, and it was, like, actually really easy to get going once you figure out some of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. Um, Honestly, that's, like, not the hardest part. There's a few tricky things with concurrency. They want everything to run on the main thread with that stuff, but otherwise, Mm. as long as you say it's main actor. It works. Right. So, um, yeah, that's fine. It's honestly like the Swift UI stuff. One of the things I talked about in the article was that I had already started developing this, like after WWDC last year. And I was like trying to support Monterey and it was, it was a challenge. Um, (laughs) and I, uh, I didn't lose interest. I just had more work than I can handle. And like Bushel went by the wayside. And then when they came out with Swift data, um, I was like, okay, this is like, this is the thing that's going to make it a lot easier for me to, um, build this app and use it. Um, uh, and cause I was Peter, I have this like thing using combine and user defaults to store my data. It was hmm. like, it was awful. Interesting. Um, yeah. Cause like I was looking, I didn't want to do core data cause I knew core data wasn't going to be long for the world. And I wanted to store your VMs, your images and all that stuff. And so I I had this hacked thing together for my data. And then when Swift data was like, okay, good. I could throw all that crap out the window and start from scratch. (laughs) And so, yeah, it uses a lot of Swift data to manage machines and access to machines and stuff. And it's all sandboxed. So that's another challenge there. Um, And just figuring out how to work with the sandboxing system um yeah uh i could go on and on they added I mean, a new snapshot must. feature this year which was useless because you had to use a uh what are we on right now sonoma you had to use a sonoma vm mm-hmm. and like nobody's going to want to use a sonoma vm because part of the reason i are using this app is to be able to use an old os so i don't yeah. even use the new right. new api um i just end up using file snapshots but yeah, it's it was interesting. I learned a lot of stuff and you know, working with Swift UI all through that that maze um was interesting.
0: Well, I bet now, you know, the, the part that caught me there that stands out more than anything is using user defaults because maybe and, and maybe I'm wrong, or maybe this is part of the problems that you hit was I always tend to think of user defaults as Storing this, you know, like you got a little bit of data to store, you, yes. you, you know, and simple data, go with yes. user defaults. But I would imagine yes. you've got a pretty fair amount for something yes. like this.
1: Right? Oh, Peter, I was doing like codable <laughs> data structs and storing them in user data. It was awful, or user defaults. Oh. It was awful, and it was just like, yeah, this is. I just, I was so against using core data. I went with this route. Honestly, I should have just went with Core Data, but now that it's with Datas <laughs> out, like that's what I'm going with and that's that's worked really well to store all this information. It's not a lot yeah, by any yeah. means. Uh it's pretty simple, honestly, but um okay.
0: it's just perfect for that. But you got to manage kind of, it though.
1: Right. It's right. and it's perfect for
0: relational stuff, so that
1: really helps mm. a lot.
0: Wow. Yeah, you know, that that that's a lot right there. I feel like there could be a whole series of like, you know, my pain with user defaults and doing this right yeah it's bad yeah it's bad so i can imagine when when they first announced you know swift data you were like oh thank goodness (laughs) right because i knew we all
1: knew something was going to come out right
0: Uh, yeah even more
1: so than like swift ui i feel like we've been waiting for core data alternative um core data is not bad by any means but it definitely has a lot of objective C cruft to it and with swift data it's not I wouldn't like if you're already using Core Data stick with Core Data but um yep. I think yep. next year if you're starting a new app I would totally go with Swift Data cuz I think there's a lot of weird concurrency things that are going on with Swift Data right now that they still have to work out
0: All right here it is the one thing that I cannot do without every day and that is my coffee Anyone that knows me or anyone that's listened to any of my podcasts or anything else knows that I absolutely cannot operate without my coffee, and I love good coffee. So here's the deal. I'm going to give you one free bag of coffee by going to peterwidham.com/coffee. forward slash coffee. There is a wonderful company out there that follows the fair trade practices, helps out a lot of independent roasters of all sizes, and the operation is simple. What you do is... You're going to go to to peterwhidham.com forward slash coffee. You sign up there. You get a free bag of coffee sent to you. Yes, in return. They say thank you to me by giving me some coffee. But that's not the reason I'm doing this. The reason I'm doing this is because I have found so many good coffees that I just would never have come across, heard about, or experienced without this service. Trade coffee is, is just fantastic. Uh, You know, there are plenty of places out there, we all know them, that supply coffee, good coffee. You can go to the store get the coffee. But there is nothing better than discovering new independent roasters and supporting them, discovering new flavors of coffee, new grinds for, you can set it up, it's very smart, you tell it the kind of coffee you like, and over time it gets better and better as it trains in on your selections and your choices and gives you exactly the coffee you're looking for and recommending new ones that that will be very similar. Every time I get a new packet of coffee, I go through, and afterwards I try the coffee, I go through the service, and I say, look, I loved this coffee. I thought this coffee was okay. Or I say, look, this was really not for me. And every time I do that, it makes the service a little more accurate on the next selection for me. So again, just go to peterwhidham.com forward slash coffee, Get your free bag of coffee today if you're a coffee lover. You're going to really appreciate this service. I have been using it for years at this point, and thoroughly recommend it. Well, if you're if you're ready for it, um, I'd like to move on and talk about Swift Data because yeah, let's do it. Um, you are one of you know one of a small group of people I know that are, have been working with it, and I know some folks working on some courses. And you and I were talking before the recording. Um, and as folks who have been following my other episodes recently know, I I took my first steps into Swift Data over the holidays. I just felt the pressure – you know, it was one of those – it was holiday time. The pressure was off. I could make something that's a complete disaster and not worry about it. And I thought this is the perfect time for Swift Data. Um, so can I, can I tell yeah. you, you want to know what's even more fun than learning Swift Data?
1: Learning Go Swift on. Data as it changes – try that out oh I, I bet i yeah bet. that yeah. was one of my biggest challenges was like i went into swift data as soon as the first beta came out and mm-hmm. uh oh it works and then you try beta 2 <laughs> oh it crashes okay fix it no no beta 3 oh it crashes oh fix this no 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 Oh my gosh! Yeah, that would that yeah. was that was a, that was a blast. That was a blast. Was this yeah. like
0: Swift one, two, and three all over again? Is that what yeah. you went through? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I thought it might and be. And they would yeah. they definitely they changed <laughs> some attributes. Uh, obviously, this is also their guinea pig for macros, right? Because everything's a macro yep. here.
0: Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm.
1: So attributes would change. Uh, well, we'll get into the biggest thing that kept changing, and it's still an issue with it. But okay. Um, for me, like, and this we've I've done I did this episode, this really great episode, two episodes with Stuart Lynch, and we're talking about like oh, learning yes. new yep. stuff, and like one of the things is like you come into any new API. I've done this so many times now, where you have this like preconception of how it's supposed to work based on how you've done stuff in the past, and yes. like for me, like I think for some people it would have been oh this is how I use Postgres or this is how I use my SQL or whatever or core core. Um, uh, Swift light. Right. Um, yep. and, and for me, I've actually done database stuff in Swift. In my case, it's all been vapor Fluent um, mm-hmm. and like doing stuff that way. And the, they have a really good system for like migration and models and queries and all that stuff. It's awesome. And so I already know this really good API for talking to databases. Um, and then you have like Swift data, which is Apple's way of doing it and doing it with this yeah. new thing called macros. And it's like, yeah, Okay. Well, you got to do this. You do this. You have to do this. Like parents, always are n- optional. But I don't want a parent to be optional. I want a parent to have to be there. But no, no, no. Apple says it has. Oh, sorry. Okay. Whatever. Just get into work. <laughs> and this is how you define relationships. This is. It's. Yeah. It's like you have to. You just have to relearn it the way. Um, the way Apple does it. Um, and for me, yeah, the biggest challenge honestly uh comes out of con- concurrency um the way concurrency is set up in swift data is um it's 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 different um and it's just not the way it's it doesn't do a lot of hand-holding and at the same time i feel like it's a little bit guiding you towards the wrong direction um oh. i'm just thankful we're not with at swift 6 yet <laughs> hopefully not this year because <laughs> swift 6 is going to be huge and it's going to yeah. like throw a lot of curveballs when it comes to concurrency. Cause like Swift data is just, it's, it's not ready for concurrency right now. I'll be honest. All the Swift data code is wrapped in main actor because I was just sick and tired of dealing with all these issues. And it's currently <laughs> what I'm doing there right now is like trying to unwrap, uh, unwrap all the, um, uh, main actor Swift data stuff because I want to, I want a better, you know, user experience. And, that, and that's
0: interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that was one of the first things that struck me, too, was, you know, I was like, oh, really? We're going to do all of this on main actor? And I thought, well, I, I hope that goes smoothly, you know. Yeah. Um, and and it, it, to be fair, I didn't do anything massive. So um, I'll dive into it, so sort of how I got into it here. I, I didn't want to do anything too complicated. And, um, you know, again, I wanted to do something that I could almost just sort of say, well, that's interesting, and walk away from it, you know, Mm -hmm. thinking to myself, maybe this year we'll get a whole bunch of Swift data stuff at WWDC. And then, of course, I remembered, no, we'll probably get a whole bunch of headset stuff. But um, I I noticed that, uh, you know, Paul Hudson, Hacking with Swift had done a live stream. And I thought, well, hey, you know, I'm going to sit and watch some of that. So that's what I did. Just, you know, it was like, get a grasp of the basics and to see if I could relate it to what I know about core data. Um, The good thing is I didn't really have to do that. So that's the good news. Um, (laughs) But, but it did become very apparent very quickly. Yes. It was like, ah, now I see why we were in a hurry to get the macros out the door, you know, um, right. With everything being macros. But then I realized too, actually I get it. This is, this is saving me an awful lot of work. And an awful lot of code. If I just trust in the 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 macros and Swift data was doing what it should,
1: and at least with Xcode you can see what's going on underneath. That's not all. That was the
0: beauty of it. Was when you know I I realized like, oh, you know what? Um, If I'm not sure, I can actually kind of go in there and look, you know, and not only learn from it but understand. And interestingly, that was that that helped me solve a problem because. I, I spoke about this on a previous episode. Um, my idea was a basic sort of simple one-to-many kind of relationship, right? You know, very mm. like start there. And I thought I was being clever. And and um, firstly, let's talk about the models, right? How, how you, you know, simplicity of building the model was fantastic. But I didn't read the documentation as far as don't do this. And I set up what I thought was an easy answer for something, which was an enum. Uh, And that was a bad plan. (laughs) It was a bad plan in that I didn't know at the time that Swift data and enums are not friends at this time. But also the errors that it was giving me in Xcode that turned out to be the enum that was the issue. Well, the error didn't say anything about that. The the error was completely different. And I spe- this was on a live stream. I spent about 30, 40 minutes with some very knowledgeable folks in the chat room. None of us, like, w- what does this mean? <laughs> you know.
1: So what did um, you end up doing, if you mind so, me asking? Because yeah,
0: I, I, I have a workaround for that. Well, my workaround, I, I guess it's, it works, but it's one of those where, you know, you say to yourself, this just doesn't feel right. Um, right. So what I did was, instead of having an enum, I just created another very simple model with two properties, just an i d. and a uh, the string that are basically i needed um mm. the enum itself, what it was was a payment type so you you had a drop down in the u i and there'd yeah. be like apple card credit card so on and so on right perfect use case, i thought for an enum until I realized it wasn't um mm. so I just made a simple model with that and then typed in the data so instead of having the enum i basically ended up with a very simple list but the okay. beauty of what impressed me with swift data was you know it happily mapped that back to the other model which was like the actual record right oh okay so, cool so you had a record that was like you know pick one apple card right but then you may have five records the related back to the Apple Card, and I could just list them by saying "Show me everything with Apple Card." Makes sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, I thought I'd, I, you know, this was one of those like, okay, now I'm about to prove why you can't use this, and I'll yeah. break it. So yeah. I deleted the record that had Apple Card, and and dang it, if Swift Data didn't do the right thing and just set them all those records back to like the first default of select a card. So oh, nice. Yeah, I was like. Damn, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: So the the yeah. thing I end up doing in those cases is uh just storing the raw value of the enum in the database and then
0: Oh I tried that and it didn't work okay. for me.
1: Cause yeah. So I make but, I make the raw yeah. value the actual store so string, right? That's stored in the database and then I create a computer okay. property uh basically off of that with the real enum. Now I think about it. Cause then you could create a transient you could create a transient property too, mm. where it's not stored in the database.
0: Yeah, I think I was using the raw value to display. I don't think I was no, using the were doing the swift raw e- value
1: UI stuff too I was doing value uh, okay. yeah yeah yeah,
0: and that you know, like you said, that was of of those like be prepared to forget what you know. You know, right, right. Um, I was thinking, like, old core data ways. You know what I mean? Yep, Um, yep. And as soon as I just let all that go, and and again, trusted in the macros, I was very pleasantly surprised at how many things it it just took care of it, and it was fine. Every time I expected to crash it, it didn't, you know.
1: One thing I want to talk about is... um, there's barely any combine in this app. I'm a big fan of combine, and I yeah, talk about that, yeah, because I know you are little... a big
0: fan, yeah.
1: yeah. I built it with very little. There is some combine from my old code I did two years ago, uh, it's like the downloading part, um, mm. but pretty much everything else is all observation based, so okay. a lot of did set. That's kind of how I did it. I don't know if that's the right thing. I think way to you mentioned
0: it. that. Do you yeah. feel that that's better going forward or uh, would you rather? I'm, I'm
1: maintaining old apps that use Combine. And what I'm running into is it's really hard to trace what's going on. Um, talk uh, to me in a okay. year to see how observation <laughs> is any better than that. But well, that's yeah. like kind of the issue I've run into with Combine. Um, Interesting. So we'll see. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I so- wanted to mention that because what what I ended up doing a lot is like so I use a lot of window groups where you pass in a binding and I'd have to listen to the binding to see if it changes and then let the observed object know on the view. Um, yeah, I actually write an article.
0: Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm writing an article yeah, about Yeah, tell it, me about that. Yeah. yeah.
1: So like basically like binding can change. Like if you open the app and I say open this VM then I close the app and then it'll open the – it'll try to open the window but it won't pass anything to it. For, mm. At first and then it will pass the information about the vm and so now we've got to like update the view and the view is yeah. reading the observed object so i ended up setting up this like on change i use on change to like okay. listen to changes to the binding and then let the observed object know uh the reason mm. i want to point that mm. out was like i do the same thing with queries so like you have a query and you have an observed object and then it'll listen to changes in the query and let the observed object know so that it can like like let's say got it snapshots, right? I need a specific, yeah. I need to take the data from the database and turn it into something that's actually viewable in SwiftUI. And then I can do that with the on change. That's a pattern nice. I use a lot um, and that seems to be working pretty well. So I'm pretty happy with that. And I would imagine
0: that's, the, you know, that that's pretty responsive and pretty quick too, right? Right, right, um, exactly. And, and like you say, better chance of it being internally up to date for want of a better way of putting it. Right, um, right and and keeping up with itself as opposed to yeah like you could be together. yeah you yeah. could be you you might think you've got one state but you're a fraction of a millisecond too early and you've got the other one or something like that right right yeah. interesting yeah all right yeah we'll check back and 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 uh, I'll just message you one day and I'll just be like combine yes no <laughs> i know i know, you know there's going to be yeah. a talk
1: next year on it there's going to be
0: a whole group of talks about it vision pro nice. is totally built on combine like why yeah yeah that's it yeah combine has has come back and you're, you're good to go again And then you can right. rewrite it again right that's right. Yeah. that's right yeah yeah nice cool well i'm conscious of the time here is there anything we haven't covered here in this episode we want to talk about
1: <laughs> i don't think so i think we covered it i mean yeah people download the app it's free bug fixes yep. are coming out like crazy um if you have any suggestions, we have a Slack for it, too. Um, Great. So if yes. you want to invite, yep. DM me. I'm on Twitter at LeoGDion and Mastodon, LeoGDion at C.im. So hit me up and let me know. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear yep. more feedback.
0: Great. And we'll put links for it all in the show notes. Um, yeah, folks, absolutely give it a try. You know, it's it's another one of those where it's – you know, I look at these things and, and the folks that I have come on the podcast and these are you know, it's a it's a podcast for developers and it's a mostly about development tools, right? And so, you know, it's it is very much a case of why wouldn't you download it and try it? At the very least give it a go, right? Um, uh, but I think like so many times, once you actually try tools like this, suddenly you realize all those use cases for yourself, right? Um, you know, it's like when I was talking with uh, Adam Wolf and we were talking about Muse and Developer Duck and how it has radically changed the way that I do some things for yeah. the better because I never had a tool that did it the way it does it for me to realize that this is so much better for me. And I think that this is another one of those tools in that, you know, if nothing else, being able to spin up an entire operating system for whatever reason you need it and it goes wrong and just delete it without taking your machine going down and carrying on. I mean, you know, that in itself is priceless. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, Leo, oh, my friend, yes, you probably plug. I have a podcast of my own oh, should, apps yeah, show.
1: It. And, uh, you can check out, check out my company, bright digit. I have all the uh, links to the YouTube channel and the podcast. We have our next interview with uh, Martin Lasik, who has a YouTube oh. channel. We'll hey, say hi game to Game development. For me. Yeah, we'll do. We're talking about, talking yeah. about game development and pu- building in public and all that fun stuff. So
0: yeah, I I, uh, I hang out on his live streams. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you are so. cool. Yeah. No, I I hang out on his live streams. He's he's a lot of fun and, and a smart guy. And uh, yeah. yeah, say hi for me. He does a lot of great stuff. Awesome. Yeah. 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 He's gonna be awesome. So yeah yeah cool yeah and and folks absolutely check out the empire apps archives so thank you my friend thank you um folks we will leave it there there's going to be a whole bunch of links in the show notes for you um as far as myself and this podcast you know what to do compile swift everywhere um say nice things about it uh i would greatly appreciate that um with that folks we will catch up in the next episode